Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Shirk, and this week we're going to be talking something a little bit different. We'll be, the, the sky is going to be falling this week, so to speak. You know, we are right around the corner from migratory bird season open, and that includes geese. And this week we talk with Garrett Rogalski from PA Boys, and it's a, it's a great conversation. It has some some kind of novice level and then intermediate level goose hunting talk you know he talks a lot of strategy and he's somebody that eats sleeps and breathes goose hunting you know the way i would uh the way i would treat whitetail hunting and maybe even more so for sure i mean he is definitely into it he's an an insanely good caller he's as diehard as they come and you know he's put his his self to the test as much as he possibly can through terrible weather and hunting pressure and just traveling across the country and coming back to the home state of Pennsylvania and just getting it done, killing a bunch of birds and eat, sleeps and breathes this stuff. And it's a great conversation with them. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Should be something that gets you fired up as we're rapidly approaching the, uh, the opener here in the state of Pennsylvania. And before we get to this episode, I just want to do a real quick shout out to little mountain outfitters. Little Mountain Outfitters is an archer shop in Richland, Pennsylvania that does a fantastic job of getting you set up for this fall. They are dealers for Prime, Matthews, Bear Archery, PSC, and more. They're also dealers for Mission Crossbows and a couple other brands. They're also a great option for food plot seed, for mobile hunting gear and saddle hunting equipment, not to mention they've got you set up with Rambo bikes and anything under the sun that's going to get you ready. It's a one-stop shop to finalize your season preparation needs. They've, You name it, they've got it. And the last thing I'll mention with them is Devon and Terry. They've got fantastic customer service. They are uh, excellent bow technicians. They do a great job of making sure you your expectations are met and then exceeded. They, uh, they're just great guys. They really are. They're knowledgeable, and I highly recommend visiting them. Little Mountain Outfitters, check them out on Facebook. And hey, with that, let's get to this episode. All right, we're live and ready to go, and I have got an exciting episode lined up for us tonight. We are talking all things in the realm of waterfowl hunting, and I got Garrett Rogowski of the PA Boys Outdoors channel. Garrett, what's going on? Not much about yourself. Hey, I'm living a dream. I was, uh, I should say I'm living a dream. I just came home, uh, had a, an afternoon work meeting, and from the time I dropped my kids off at my babysitter's, which would have been my mother-in-law's, at I think it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We picked them up at 5.30, and that time I saw a complete 180 in my kid, and he was sick and miserable and... Yeah, so my night turned uh, a little bit into uh, a rodeo in a short amount of time. So I guess I can't complain. I mean, it's just there's always something going on, man. What what's been going on in your world? Um, just a little early season or pre-early season packing, buying gear, scouting, work. That's about that's about all it is. Six months out of the year, it's go go go. The other six months, it's Plan to go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're living a dream. So before I get into this, some of those questions, I'm curious, what do you do for a living? Uh, I work in the oil fields. Nice, nice. So that's prob- That's a pretty, I mean, I know people who do that. That's a pretty time-strenuous job. So you kind of, are you like a two-week-on, one-week-off kind of deal, or what's that look like? Uh, 28-14. Okay. But I got them talked into letting me go six months laid off. So I can go hunt and work around here and then come back in a busy season and back and forth. 
that sounds to me like you got it made in the shade from that perspective. Six months off, that's not too shabby. Nah, can't, can't be. It took a lot, of, a lot of talking and fighting to get to it. But. Well, good for you, and I'm anxious to hear what six months uh, six months of, of hunting does and looks like for you, but I'm kind of curious. Right now, we're in that six-month time frame where you're working and you're, you're in the planning phase, so I'm kind of curious. I am... I love to talk strategy. I love to understand how people's philosophy and mentality goes in the preseason side of things, but it's almost always geared towards big game. So yeah. I really want to know um, right now as we stand in, in end of July, getting into August, you know, we're creeping in on the starter here in Pennsylvania. What does preseason scouting right now look like for you when we're talking about waterfowl? Well, that's a lot of miles behind the windshield. For sure, I definitely put more miles in my truck than I do more time in the field. We, you know, here to New York to Erie to everywhere, all across the state. Everybody's. We have a group of guys in the north. They stay above I eighty for the most part, and they hunt up there, and we stay below I eighty and hunt down here. So combined, last year we had six hundred and seventeen Canada's killed or something like that between both sides. Wow. And yeah. So. A couple of Make, making sure I got you too. Um, you're part of uh, PA Boys Outdoors, which is a uh, big social media group. Uh, tell me a little bit about that because you know if, if somebody that's listening doesn't know about it, um, you guys are you guys are putting a lot of content out, and you guys are doing everything you can to get it done in in the fall. We uh, we started in 2015. Uh, our ad, or you know our owner Hunter Scott, him and a couple of buddies that have since parted ways with PA Boys started it didn't take off anywhere. They kind of slacked off for a while and didn't do anything with it. And then they started posting. I found it. I was scrolling through Instagram one day and I just shot a coyote with my bow. This was probably four years ago, three or four years ago. And I sent it in and then we got to chit chatting back and forth. And then they sent me an application for the pro staff. And now I'm one of the co-owners cause I've been here since way back in the day, 900 and something followers or something like that. Yeah, 900-some followers, and you said you're up to how many by now in 2022? Uh, 11.4K, I believe it is. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're we're talking about doing all that stuff, and we're talking about preparation. So you cover – you're out in southwestern Pennsylvania, but you cover into some other states too. So what does uh, – you know, everybody's talking about the deer tour or the turkey tour. I guess what is the what does the duck and goose tour look like for you boys? Um, well, our group, uh, the North group goes to see the North or South Dakota every year and they put a heart in on them. They shoot ducks, geese, snows, everything. And then most of these guys down here don't travel. I go to Arkansas every year or every other year, depending on what it looks like for snow geese. And we go out there and shoot two, three hundred and four or five days. But it's, it's not so much like a big, like a different state thing because it's, it's a lot to it's a little easier to go out out of state and hunt for whitetail or bear or anything like that you know you know where they're kind of sort of going to be it's it's a little on the more difficult side to go out and just freelance waterfowl hunt especially yeah. that unless you're uh, unless you're going to be paying a little bit heftier yeah. price to get uh, get somebody in on on a good spot for you i'm assuming yeah that's it's all i know out in arkansas they pay they bought. They lease the fields from the farmers, and they're. I think they pay fifteen thousand dollars for the field for two months. Wow. So I mean, you gotta have deep pockets to, uh, you know, hunt any ground out there, unless you happen to find a, you know, a public land spot that's loaded. Right, right, and you know, public land. I've learned too, talking to networkers with some people in the south. It seems like you know we talk about pressure for whitetails or whatever on public land. It seems like you get into some insane pressure on public land some places down in the south too oh it's just, it's anywhere that's public that is or was good for waterfowl if you weren't there whenever they showed up it you're not gonna you I mean you might get lucky and kill you know a handful but you're not gonna go in and say scout a thousand bird feed and go in there and just you know beat the hell out of them yeah because somebody else is gonna find it before you do or somebody else is gonna be the only one that has permission they see I know our Canada's, we hunt, we hunt locals around here for about the first month. They stay, you know, in this area 
And after about the first month, we start to run, you know, like we still have birds that are migrating and stuff like that. But we we start encountering them locals again. Well, they've wisened up since the early season. They've seen everything. They know the calls. They know the spreads. They know which fields to land into, which ones not to, because they got shot at last time. So it's 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 difficult, especially with the local birds. The, mig- the migrators are the ones you can really put together because they come over. You know, they don't know no better. They see a bunch of geese. Yeah. And they're like, well, there's food. That's usually all right. Once they leave, they leave. They're going south. So you get one go out of maybe two. You know, depends on how long they're here. And they're out of here till next year. And that's so, kind of what I expected you to say. So, I mean, as you can tell from this conversation and stuff, I've done a little bit of duck and goose hunting. I love to do it. But it's one of those things where you only got so much time in the fall, and I just told you in the beginning of this conversation the craziness I have with some kids. So I still devote a lot of time to uh, to whitetail hunting and some big game and stuff. So I never take the time to do it, but I, I love to do it. It's a fun thing, but I do not have the knowledge base that you, you guys have when it comes to getting out there and preparing. So, you know, you said you're putting a lot of miles on the truck this time of year, just kind of following patterns of local birds. Um, give me, give me a little bit more, like, what does that look like? I mean, are you talking about local as in just around your neighborhood, you going around the County or like, what exactly does local mean to you when you talk about local birds? So like, I know there's a dam that's probably uh, 20, 25 minutes from my house, give or take, and you can't hunt it. It's a water reservoir, but every year it's got birds on it from, it's, it's got birds on it damn near year round. I mean, there's probably, a, I could probably count a handful of both days that I haven't, I have not seen geese there or ducks or whatever it might be. So them are the birds that don't travel south or as far south as like you'd say Canada's from Canada or wherever, you know, they might go down a couple of states, but they're going to come back to the same spot. And most of the time they don't even do that. They just hang out here. So them birds have, we've hunted this same group of birds probably six times. And to get a, we had one good shoot with, I think there was six shooters and we killed 40 geese with these local birds. And we just got, we just got real lucky. And then we hunted them same group of locals in six different spots. And I think we killed two in seven hunts from them local core group of birds. So they start they they wisen up a lot. It's kind of mind-boggling for me to think about following local groups of birds and being able to identify it. So give me a glimpse of how much do you have to follow a local group of birds that you're confident you're you're following the same group of birds everywhere you go. So typically, before like during during the season, what we'll do is we'll work you know Monday through Friday, or you know some people work this, some people work that. We'll have somebody. We all hunt. We all are different parts of Western PA, like different counties and stuff. So, the Friday before, the depending on who's off, who works, whatever, the guys that are off jump in the trucks way before sunlight, binoculars, or spotlights, whatever, or, uh, spotting glasses, whatever. And say Thursday through Wednesday, we saw a group of birds at so and so's pond where they roost at. So we'll go there, sit and wait. So it gets light and they'll hang out and then eventually they're going to get hungry and go feed. So you see which way they're flying. You know, you're looking at the road map, you're following them, you're going down the road. You follow them until they land down to feed. If it's a local group, we probably already have permission on it. Sometimes we don't. So we have to either, you know, find who owns it, go knock, get permission, get told no, you know, the whole nine for that. And then we just do that for say two or three days and make sure they keep going to the same field, same field, same field, back to the same water. So we know where they're going. So then once Saturday rolls around or whatever day we can all hunt, we know they're going to sit in this part of the field and they're going to get here about, you know, this time. So we need to know what time to get in there, have everything set up and be in the blinds ready to shoot by whatever time they get there. That's pretty slick. And that makes a lot of sense to me as you're describing that. So, um, kind of getting into that change. Of, so obviously there's a consistent food source that they're following and tuning into. How, or how often do you see that change? Because as I'm thinking about going through the fall, you know, you get into September, uh, 
dairy farmers are chopping corn silage. So you're seeing a lot of corn starting to fly out of the field. Uh, behind that corn, they're probably going to be planting rye, triticale, wheat, something like that, some kind of green food source uh, that they'll, they'll chop in the spring then. Um, so you, you've got some changing going on in the food sources. Do you see that really affect how that local pattern goes for like during the season or is it pretty well opening day you can count on that food source and we're, we're going to kind of adjust as we go through the season that's pretty much what it is i know last year around here it was all corn it was all corn silage cut corn standing corn and the whole nine so we knew you know hey they're going to be in corn most of the year unless we find an odd hay field or wheat field that's been chopped or something like that but you know you just go around you look for all the corn like now you can drive around and look for all the standing corn and what you have permission on. And I know the place we killed 40 of them local birds at this year, half their field's corn. That was beans last year, and the other half's beans that we hunted them out of last year. So instead of sitting on one side, we're going to sit on the other. And we know they're going to lose a roost right down the hillside, probably a quarter mile away. So they just bounce right up over the hill. So we're just going to flip sides and hunt in the corn. But it's mostly corn. Um, we don't, they don't, we don't hunt them in beans too much. They don't particularly care for beans right. like white tails do. It's hay fields, wheat fields, and corn. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, so tell me a little bit, you talk about permission, because obviously you're talking about a pretty big area when you're talking about a you know, flyaway. Even for local birds, you're talking about a pretty yeah. big area. So w- with the, the amount of hunting you do, do you spend a lot of time in the off-season getting to know local areas and people? Have you uh, have you kind of taken a backside approach of saying, you know, I'm not going to really spend too much time uh, – networking with people i'm going to wait till i see a pattern and then figure out from that pattern who i want to talk to like what does that look like it's 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 hard to describe because like we know we all everybody in this group oh you know our cool waterfowl guys down here everybody knows everybody so like if i don't you know if i find birds on say george's property and i don't know george personally I'll text our group chat and be like, does anybody know so-and-so, you know, here's his address. And nine times out of 10, one of our 12 guys knows him. So he'll call him up and be like, you know, Hey, would you mind us coming in to hunt your geese? And he met nine times out of 10, they, they allow us because we've already hunted there or somebody's hunted whitetail there or something in the past. So then, and we also have people that are, we've never met and it's just a, you know, shot in the dark, pulling the driveway, see geese, go up and knock and they either love them or they hate them. They either, you know, very politely, no, I wouldn't say very politely, but, you know, tell you to get off the property or they're like, yeah, kill them all. I hate them things. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's 50-50, you know, it's a flip of the coin. You're either going to find cool people or, or, you know, you got people that like the geese, which don't make no sense to me. But Right. So you, uh, well, I, we did an episode a little while back talking with some boys out in Western PA, but talking about predator hunting. And I'm amazed when you talk about predators or waterfowl, the level of ground that you guys have access to. And it's just, it's a little bit different than what I'm used to when you're talking about honing in on ground for whitetails, for turkey, for a lot of the big game species. It seems like the, the base is bigger. And am I wrong to say it's easier to get permission on ground for waterfowl? Or is that just a misconception? It, it is and it isn't. A lot of... A lot of people over here hunt deer, hunt turkey, hunt bear. So when you go up and ask, hey, you know, can I whitetail hunt here? They're like, no, so-and-so hunts here, I hunt here, my kid hunts here, whatever. But you don't have, I mean, I think there's, I probably count on one hand how many people that, other than us, that hunt waterfowl as hard as we do around here. So it's, it's more, I would say, yeah, it's more, it's easier to get permission for waterfowl because no one hunts it, you know. They either, you know, they're either bothering the, you know, the kids at the lake house or whatever. But I think it's easy to get waterfowl permission just for the sake of nobody hunts it. Right. It's a little bit less pressure. And, uh, I mean, there's definitely some people out there that are pretty, pretty, you know, you're one, one yourself that get pretty crazed up about chasing waterfowl. But the amount of people, when you compare it to whitetail and how crazy people get over a set of antlers, it's just a little bit different. So there's probably a little bit of flexibility there. 
Um, yeah. You know, I want to try to give you a scenario and, and tell me how you'd approach this. So you're, you're going through your local bird setup here. We're getting ready for that opener here in September. And you're, you're following a pattern of birds, and they're doing that. You're following them off a roost, and they're going out. And they, they're landing in this section that is just – it's your your – goose hunting mecca it's got everything a goose hunter could dream of it's got all the food that they're landing and it's kind of hard to really uh think think of a better setup than than what they've got there but you go to knock on that door and you don't get permission um tell me a little bit about you know if you have a pattern that consistent and a property that is relating to how are you kind of adjusting accordingly there because i'm assuming you're, you're going to be able to find a way to hunt those birds but maybe not on that specific property yeah so eventually the food's going to run out for them on that you know goose hunting mecca or duck hunting whatever you whatever you know whatever you're hunting eventually the food's going to run out at some point so they're going to go somewhere else or i know a typical goose pattern they roost they go to feed they come back and they lull for a couple hours on the water. They go out to feed again, which sometimes is the same field, sometimes isn't, you know, depending on how close it is to the roost for their morning feed or their evening feed. And then they'll go back to the water and go to sleep and just do that every day. So sometimes we'll, you know, say we can't get permission on that goose hunting mecca. We'll have somebody sit there and wait till they go back to the lull, or we'll go back to the lull and wait till they come back and then you know, hang out for a couple of hours and then we'll follow them. If they keep going back to the same spot, you know, we just kind of put, we know they're there. We put it in the back of our heads, but we, we go find another local group of birds to try to hunt. But, you know, after four or five days, like I said, the food's going to run out. So they're going to go somewhere else. And then we'll come back and check, see they're not going to that goose hunting mecca anymore. And then the pattern continues. You got to sit there, wait, see where they go, go get permission. It's just a revolving circle. Yeah, the, I was going to say, it sounds like a, a repetitive process, but it seems to be pretty effective the way you're describing it to me. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that's pretty cool. So you're talking about going through the beginning of the season. Uh, it's kind of like opening, you know, my favorite week to chase whitetails is opening week. I mean, uh, opening week, I feel like it's fresh. That's the best time for me to get on a mature buck sometimes. Had some really good encounters over the years, and it's probably no different when you're chasing geese. Uh, you probably get on some birds that they just don't know the hunting pressure's coming. Yeah, um, that's... Do you see, how, how quick does it typically turn for you guys that, you know, the gig is up on them for them local birds? Is it a few days? Is it a few weeks? What's that usually look like for you? It depends how hard we hunt them. Usually the way, the way I tell everybody is the month of September is the, one, the way you kill all the dumb birds. You know, they're last year's babies. They don't know no better yet. Mm-hmm. You know, they're used to seeing people on boats up on the river. Hold on one second. They're used to seeing people on boats on the river fishing. And you can get almost grab them. You know, they don't know no better because nobody shot at them yet. So for that first month, you know, you have the kids from last year, and then you have the adults that we've hunted for four years. So you'll get you'll get a big juvenile to adult difference on most of the shoots. You know, you'll shoot a lot of juveniles the first like two weeks and some of the dumber local birds that, you know, forget about it over six months. You'll get into them for probably I don't know, last last September I think we killed hundred and fifteen in four hunts. That was the four Saturdays of September. Wow. And you know, five hunts. We, we hunted opening day. But then after that, that's when they start getting wise and they start, you know, you got to change everything up from what you've been hunting them. Because we, in the early season, we go out and put four dozen decoys and lay out lines of some green grass on them and they just come in there, you know, wings open, feet hanging, coming in to feed. And then once that, I mean, it's it's concealment. you got to be hidden, you know, where you're on. We're going to start running bigger groups. Normally we run like five to ten dozen this year. We're going to start running like 15 to 20 dozen decoys. You know, give it some different variation so that, so they don't, you know, get used to the same five or ten, ten dozen. They start, they start to get wise after a while, but, you know, you got to change it up. We go from different calls to different motion decoys to ten dozen to, f- you know, three dozen decoys in a matter of, could be three hours when we're out in the field. If we see they don't like it, we go out and change something. Another group comes, we see they don't like it, we change something else. Keep changing it till we get a group of birds that likes it, and then, you know, beat the hell out of them for however long till they quit coming in. It kind, of, 
kind of reminds me like you're almost uh almost like a related to turkey hunting like taking the temperature of the bird you're hunting like i could think about you know i could think of so many different gobblers i've i've worked over the years um kind of playing the, the tune that hey they have, you know if he's fired up um just giving him that until he kind of commits to that that 70 yard break and, and makes his full commitment kind of the yeah. same thing you're, you're trying to figure out local birds but it seems like early season from what you're describing it seems like you can get away with some pretty simple as far as decoy patterns amount of birds the way you set them up i know you guys are probably no different and i kind of want to get into that a little bit but i know some people describe some pretty elaborate schemes in the way you set decoy patterns up so you're not really getting into that the first part of the season usually too much um like i said it 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 could all change in the you know the snap of a finger we could be hunting the same birds that we've hunted you know x amount of days and they just keep coming into the same thing one day they don't like it and then that one day they don't like it, we change everything. It could go from, like I said, 25 dozen and you're hiding in A-frames to, you know, a half dozen full bodies and you're laying in a or, you know, you're laying in layouts right underneath them. You know, something, something that they don't like, you got to change. And most of the time, that's what we're chasing half the season. I mean, we run big, like, U-formations of decoys, and we sit at the tail end of them, so they come flying right at us. You know, we... We run big blobs of decoys and put A-frames behind them, so they think it's a big feed. And we lay right underneath probably 40 dozen or so, like right underneath, like they're sitting right beside you. Just it all, it all depends on what they want, what they don't. That's kind of interesting. Um, tell me a little bit how you adjust. I'm trying to think, like when you get into the season when they're starting to really um, – they're really starting to key in on that hunting pressure. Do you see the number scheme as, is there anything in particular that you see an advantage to, or is it, is it, there's no rhyme or reason what you're going to change that day. Is it just kind of a, a, a hit or miss type thing? Hit or miss. There's no rhyme or reason. I know beginning of the season, they're still kind of paired up in like family groups, like groups of four or five. So we'll set, say, a big W or a big Z or some some formation of a large blob of decoys, and all around it we'll put five, six, you know, four little groups, family groups. That mimics like they're – it's like how they say chop fishing, like match the hatch. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, if you go scout them and you see they're all blobbed up together in this field, then you want to match that as close as possible as you can to the same spot they landed in the field. Or, you know, if you go out there and see, hey, there's two split groups and there's kind of some stragglers in the middle, you want to mimic that identical. So they think, okay, you know, these are our group of geese that we've been hanging out with. They left early or whatever. So that's how you, you know, you trick them. It's, it's a chess game pretty much. It's just. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I want to backtrack just a second because what you just described there, I'm wondering you know, we, we gave you that analogy earlier about um, a place where birds are going to constantly, but you can't get permission onto that. Do you find that you're able to sometimes uh, cheat it a little bit and hunt adjacent properties or neighboring properties and draw them into that just the same? Um, you know, I'm thinking geese, as are a lot of wildlife that we hunt, uh, the creatures of habit, they, they like that, that specific um, thing for a reason. So, you know, you're talking about setting up a certain way and, and that kind of matching what they're doing and that's what kind of draws them in. So can you break that comfort zone sometimes in, in adjacent properties and, and different setups like that? Yeah, we, we call that running traffic. So say they're going to, give me one second here. I'll get a Sharpie and a piece of paper and draw you a diagram. So say we have permission on or say the goose mecca would be the X, and, you know, that's in a little square property or something along them lines. And we have permission on circle, 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 and we'll say the star is where they roost. So you got something like this, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, if we see them flying from, from this X, you know, they fly – straight this way, then we'll, whatever field that we have permission 
closest to we'll set up in that field but say you know they fly here and then they fly over this field then they come here we know that's one that they fly directly over so then we'll sit we'll set up in that field and that usually is big decoy spreads i mean giant decoy spread that's in near everything we usually have trying to get just so it looks like hey you know there must be more food here there's more geese and sometimes you get into them pretty good that way sometimes you don't more than likely it's i know but you'll still get, you know, a handful. You know, you might shoot 20, you might shoot 70, depending on how many guns, and, you know. But it's a lot of pass shooting. You know, you get them so close, they're not, they, they're just flying close to it. They're not flying into it. Yeah, they're checking things out, but they're not committing to your setup. Yeah. So, you know, if you get them within, it's a lot of long-range, I wouldn't say like sky-busting, but it's long-range shooting. You know, they might pass by four times at 50 yards, and then one time they come in at 40. You know, that's all you're going to get for the leave, so you got to take a poke at them at 40. Mm. But a lot of us run, a couple of us run modified chokes. I run an extra full. It's like shooting a rifled slug up to like 60. I got a pattern probably this big at 60 yards. So I, I can reach out there and get a piece of one, and a couple other guys shoot fulls and extra fulls. So on them past shooting days, that's where we get our – our full choke practice, an extra full choke practice, because they're way out there. Like I said, we'll shoot, you know, you'll either kill a bunch of them or you won't. I want to put a pin in that for just a second, because I really do want to get to know a little bit more about the gear that you guys trust and you're you're relying on each and every season when you're hunting six months out of the year. Um, but the uh, – <clears throat> oh, man, I lost my train of thought. Let's just go on to the gear then. How about that instead? So the uh, – the extra full chokes and stuff, you, you're talking about having a lot of decoys. Tell me a little bit about the, the decoy setups that you have. Um, I mean, you can you can name name brand all you want. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, what you guys have been collecting and, and how much and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm a tried and true. I, you know, somebody told me five years ago, because that's the time all we hunted with was full bodies. You know, GHDs, Avians. Hardcores, all that. All, everybody hunted with full bodies. And then this big silhouette thing came in. If somebody had told me five years ago we'd have little pieces of, you know, cardboard sitting out in the field, I probably would have just quit. And now that's all. I run, I have 35 dozen dive bombs myself. And I know we're picking up 70 other dozen next weekend, I believe it is. So we're going to have, you know, a fair few. But the only downlying rule with silhouettes is for every two because they only fate, you can only see them one way. Say they're facing this way or they're facing this way. So for every two, it's one goose. You know, one full body decoy. So if you have, say, fifteen, you know, say you have thirty dozen out, they're only going to see fifteen dozen at a time. You know, depending on which way they're flying and which way they're set up, because you can only see the one side, you can't see the whole thing. So we typically run anywhere from five to fifteen dozen silhouettes, and then we mix in two to six dozen full bodies just to give it that little bit of extra, you know, visibility. We run goose flags. Those are big. We use them all year. You can draw them in from five miles. They just, they like the motion of seeing another set of wings. We use motion decoys. Um, it's kind of hit and miss between we either, it depends on what kind of setup we're hunting. We either hunt A-frames or we'll hunt layout blinds. Or, you know, sometimes we get lucky and they're standing corn close and we'll just back up in the rows four or five and sit down and not use the blind at all. Yeah, probably only get away with that first part of season, I'm assuming. Until the corn gets cut. And we're very lucky to have anything that's close enough to sit in the corn where we can set up. So most of the time it's A-frames and layouts, you know. You can set up against a tree line. You can take an A-frame and set them right out in the middle of the field as long as you hide them good enough. You can you can hunt in anything as long as you get, you know, the, the visibility part down. You want to make it look like – I know – there's a couple of fields that I have permission on myself. I leave a blind out there all year. You know, I brush it up and I leave it go through the elements and then we hunt it. Say if we hunt it the first week, they've seen this blob in the middle of the field for, you know, eight months before the first time we hunt it. So when we hunt it, they, they don't know no different other than there's decoys out in the, you know, there's geese out in the field. They just see that blob and they're like, oh, it's been there for X amount of, you know, days. Um, we run, most most of us wear Sitka gear. It's got lifetime warranty. 
you can't beat it. It keeps you warm. It keeps you dry. Uh, the wind, wind stopping part of it is amazing. We all, we all got a little different, our little different, um, you know, calls and stuff like that. Like I have my lanyard sitting here. I run Zinc 737, Toxic, and Primus. That's what I've found that works out for me. Some people run, uh, you know, different, different call of death or, uh, Zinc series calls and some people run different call companies. Everybody blows a call different. Everybody likes the sound that they make from said call. So we all, six of us together, we sound like a feed of 200 geese when we're all going on the call. So that really solidifies it, I would say. We run two enclosed trailers. One we haul a four-wheeler and a side-by-side in, and the other one we load up for decoys and blinds. And then we just pull it out and take it up to the field, set it up, drive the four-wheeler and stuff away so we, they're not seen, and sit down and sit for however long. Good deal. I think the calling section, so calling is one of those things, and no matter the species you hunt, I think you could probably make endless amounts of podcast episodes depending on how elaborate and questions you want to get on. And I, I know uh, waterfowl is no different. Uh, it's like a, everybody's got their own language and they're you know, taking the temperature, I guess, so to speak, of, of how you're going to communicate with those birds. So give me a little glimpse of what that looks like in Garrett's mind. Like how do you, um, how do you take communicating with birds to draw them in and how does that change from the beginning of the season into mid and late season so like i said earlier the you know you get dumb birds the first month you know our first month of early season they're dumb and I, I, that's as about as plain as i can get it they don't you know they see geese and they're like oh food they don't care you can blow a chicken call and they'd probably come down you know i haven't personally done it but I like to go, say, if I'm the one on the road scouting for the week and I find this big feed, I'll turn my truck off, turn the music off, you know, whatever I'm doing, trying to get as quiet as possible, and I'll just sit there and listen. You know, are they being real vocal or are they just being quiet and you hear a couple clucks and moans every once in a while? Or, you know, are they not making a peep? And I'll see if they, you know, what the repeating cycle is for a couple of days. And if, you know, they're, they're loud mouth the whole time, then whenever we go in and hunt them, we'll just, you know, go nuts on the call. If they're quiet, we'll just go in there. Most of the time, I don't even, if they're quiet, I don't even take, I don't even take my lanyard. I take it and it stays in the bag. But it, there's no, there's no need to call them if, you know, they're already coming, if that makes any sense. But, you know, if they're, if they're vocal, you want to be vocal back. You're trying to, you're trying to match exactly what they did. Before you were in there, if that makes sense. Speaking their language. Yes. Pulling the old, sure. pulling the old Primo's uh, slogan out. Speak the language. Yeah, that's that's it. Two et. You know, if they're real loud, you want to be loud. If they're quiet, you don't, you don't want to say a peep. And you know, if they're not working right, you know, real cluck, clucks and moans just to get a little bit of attention. The flag really draws them in. That we use, we use handheld flags. That usually does a trick. But I know we've. We've hunted place. We had a hunt last year. I drove. We drove. I drove 15 hours back from Arkansas. They found geese the day before I drove back in the field. They wouldn't got permission on it. I was like, my trailer's here. You know, here's where the keys at. Go pick the trailer up. You guys get there. Here's my arrival time. I'll just jump from this truck to this truck. I got on my camo because I just came from snow goose hunting. I'll take the tube off when I get there. Put my plug back in and we'll hunt. I showed up. We finished setting the decoys blind and the blinds in, had no geese, and then all of a sudden it was a whiteout snowstorm. Blowing sideways, couldn't see 15 feet in front of you. And, you know, we're all tucked in the blind because it's cold. I mean, it's like 8 degrees and just snowing sideways. And I kept hearing just a lone bang, bang, bang of geese, just little bits here and there. And I kind of peeked my head up and looked around, but, you know, you couldn't see anything. So I tucked back in and I mimicked what they were sounding like. And I look up from the blind, and there was two geese at the bottom of my layout blind, wings open, getting ready to land. So everybody popped up, and we shot them. And then it was, that's all what happened. You know, four or five would come in out of the blue. We'd shoot them, hurry up, pick them up, get back in the blinds. You'd hear another little murmur here or there. I'd blow back at them. They'd come back in, and it was just like that all day long. Hmm. So you went, you went and collect them. Uh do you find if you don't collect birds and get a pile of dead birds out there, that's not like an extra decoy? Um, 
everybody has their own theory to it. Like our North guys, they shoot the shit out of them. They shoot the last last day of last season. They shot like sixty seven with a it's five geese per person limit. And I mean, they I think they had twenty two guys or something like that. I mean, they shot them up, but they would tuck them, you know, tuck their heads underneath their wings and lay them out there like sleepers. It it all depends on what you, you know. If you during the winter you see a lot of sleepers, so that's a good time you can get away with that, you know, tucking their head underneath the thing. I've had hunts where we've rained a group of them out, and by by the time I stood up and loaded my gun to go out and start picking them up, you know, we had more geese coming in, so I could you know just lay back down on the blind. They they either would cop and commit or they most most of the time like I said if they're coming there because they know there's food they're going to come regardless mm. they just think you know whatever but they, we shot 20 before I even got out of the blind to pick them up and I made four trips with six geese in my hand every time I walked out no gun nothing and they were there was I think four of us so we were limited out and they were just coming in over top of our heads, landing. We were walking through the field, picking decoys up. Four wheeler was sitting in the middle of the field. They didn't care. If we'd had five more guns, we could have kept shooting. <laughs> so, uh, staying on that topic of calling, you know, you talk about matching the birds and trying to mimic them and speak that language. Um, does anything, does anything at all change? as you go through the progression of the season and you add in that element of hunting pressure and that education factor, is there anything that you have to adjust accordingly from that calling aspect? Uh, most definitely. You know, if say, say you had Canada's travel from Maine to Maine to wherever, you know, they've heard X amount, you know, how many, how many hunting setups have they flown over? How many calls have they heard? How many, you know, how many decoy spreads have they seen? They start to pick up on that. If they stay, you know, start hearing the same, you know, cluck, cluck, moan, they hear it four or five times. They're like, okay, you know, I've heard that a bunch. It's not, you know, it's not the real thing. So we typically like to be quiet in late season. You know, we don't blow, you know, we're not on the calls as much because they've heard everything. Like the early season, we, you know, depending on what the birds do, but we, we're definitely more call, callative in the early to mid season than we are late season because the late season they've seen and heard everything but we try to that's where everything gets different you know it goes from 20 dozen decoys to like six and you know everything changes because they've seen everything you want to try to be different than everything else they've ever seen you know and that flight travel that they've been up and down for you know two months and you know Along that line, you you don't try to stick out, but you want to match what they were doing. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Give me an idea when you talk about setup. Um, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking back to whitetail hunting, and I'm thinking about how I'm setting up. You know, always my access points in into my stand locations and setting up with wind, uh, weather types of things. So I'm kind of curious. Does wind direction? Uh, orientation of sun more where it comes up in the morning does do certain things like that make you decide how you're going to orient your setups at all or is it pretty much just knowing that path that you just showed me on that on that uh clipboard uh you knowing that orientation of roost to feed back and forth and just basing it off of something like that when you set up on some birds so for geese when we set up in fields, we like to have the wind at our back because they like to fly into the wind to land. So that way, you know, the wind's blowing over the back of your head. They're going to come into the wind so they can tuck down and land. But um, the sun, it's kind of a hit and miss. I personally don't like shooting geese with the sun in my eyes because I can't see anything. And that's how most of us are. So we try to, you know, angle it so that we're not getting you know, blinded when we pull out of the layouts or the A-frames. But sometimes if, you know, that's the wind, that's the way the wind's going, you got to, you know, suck it up and deal with it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, we set it up on wind and how they feed. So say they start at the bottom of the hill and feed to the top, we'll set up right in the middle, like between point A and point B. So that way, you know, they're going to start down here or they might see us and fly right to us, mm-hmm. but they're going to end up up here. But say the wind changes, that's another thing that gets us to get out and change everything. The wind goes from, you know, blowing out of the south to blowing out of the north. you got to flip everything around so that it's facing the right way, if that makes sense. You know, you're facing the wind. 
but it's not, they can't smell you. Their vision's amazing. I know when we hunt in the snow, we all shoot different brands of shells. Every shell's a different color, black, red, blue, you know, white, orange, whatever. We've hunted in snow and we all shot red shells and we couldn't figure out why birds were fl flaring off. Like they didn't like it. We changed the decoy set up like six times and we still couldn't figure out what it was. Well, the first group of birds we got into whenever we shot all of our red shell casing were laying out in the snow. And they saw that red shell casing and took off. They didn't like any part of it. And then once we started picking up and throwing all of our shells in, we, we shot the hell out of them. They wow. noticed one little thing of that red shell sitting in the white snow, and they didn't want no part of it. So they took off. And then once we started picking them up, it wasn't a matter of our decoys. It was a matter of the red, you know, the red shells sitting in the white snow. Wow, that's pretty interesting. And it's it's probably different for every group of birds you do because you could probably, you know, I think people in general, whenever they have a hunting out experience or, or some kind of aha moment like that, you know, they'll uh, they'll be quick to say, well, birds will never do this or, you know, deer will always do this under this circumstance. And, you know, talking about that, I could easily see somebody going – and having an experience where they shot the hell out of the birds, as you described, uh, shells laying everywhere and it didn't matter. And that one instance was enough for somebody to say, ah, that's probably not a big deal. Um, and you're kind of going to the, the opposite end of the spectrum saying, well, it's probably, you know, if I'm extra cautious, it's probably going to work in my advantage if I'm extra cautious, even though there's probably a group of birds out there that won't care when they see those shells. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all like we base, I know we had a junior, we had a junior hunter with us. It's one of our staff members, younger brothers, and he wanted to go. So we took him out the first day we took him out. We had a group of probably 40. They flew over top of us and we're like, oh, we're going to let him get close because the rest of us were going to, in the fact, we could kill him out of the sky where they were. But we wanted him because he's never goose hunted. We were like, you know, first bird comes in here, you're going to shoot it. So we, you know, we're all in the same level playing field and they didn't want no part of it. Well, come to find out, Whenever they blinded his blind in, the bottom, say, two feet of it didn't have any, like, had grass on it, but it wasn't tucked into the weaves. So whenever he stood up, all the grass fell off. They saw that blank spot of a blind, and then the rest of us were all covered. They didn't want anything to do with it. We hunted all day long like that before we realized, you know, that's what the issue was. And it was, like, 40-something degrees, it rained all day. We were soaked, laying in a swamp. It was just a miserable day. He hunted with us. That was, oh, I don't know, probably December, end of December at some point. He hunted with us till the last day of the season. And we had geese come in, or, you know, same thing. Hey, you know, when he's with us, he's going to shoot. He's going to go into the first group of geese, or the first group of goose that gets in range, he's going to shoot it. And we hunted all, all, there was something always wrong. The birds never didn't want what field we were in. Something always happened where we couldn't connect with him for a goose till the last day of the last season of last season. And we set up on this place that we've hunted the last three hunts, you know, last three weeks. And it's in between three water reservoirs where they all roost. So they fly right up to the top of this hill and sit down and eat. And we were up there and we didn't have any, you know, we had geese, but they weren't, they weren't cooperating. And, his brother and him had something to do so they we were like oh, okay you know good job guys you know here's our total you know blah, blah 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 had our victory cigar at the end of the year like we do every year and he brought the four-wheeler and trailer up and i heard a clock so i was like you know turn that four-wheeler off he turned the four-wheeler off we had a group of four geese come in or two geese come in shot into him we missed them all it was just nobody was ready the blinds you know just a big disaster so we hurried up and pulled the four-wheeler back out of the field, threw a bunch of grass and stuff on the blinds and loaded our guns, and we had a group of two come in, and the kid just absolutely pounded them both right out of the sky. I yelled, kill them, kid popped up, bang, bang, got both geese fell. So I was like, oh, cool. I hurried up and jumped out of the blind, and I took off running for the one that was still alive. So it was it was wild, and I wanted to you know, get them killed, and you know, the humane thing to do. Sure. And I got probably... 15 feet out of the blind, and the one guy yelled, hey, geese, and I just laid down in the corner. And four geese come up over top of my head, kind of hovered above the blinds, and one guy yelled, killed them, and they killed all four of them. And then it was just, I think we killed 20 in the last 45 minutes of light, and the kid's hooked. He's been asking 
his brother, he's been asking us. He's like, hey, how many days we got left? Are we ready to go yet? So that's, that's a big thing for us. He's, I think he's 14, 13 or 14, and he's hooked on waterfowl hunt. We've all given him our hand-me-down calls and lines, and his brother bought him a playout for Christmas and, you know, all that stuff, and the kid's hooked. Like, he loves it. He's, he's every bit of, about us that we are. Man, that's what it's all about, passing it on. We talk about that a lot in every aspect, so I'm glad to hear you guys are doing that same thing. Uh, I'm kind of curious, uh, what, what, uh, what's your tried-and-true uh, tried boomstick you like to take out? Oh, boy, I've shot, I've shot everything from Mossberg to Beretta to Benelli to Stoger. I've found for as much – hold on, I'll just go get it. I've put a bunch of guns through their – how do I say this? Through their tests. And the only one that's stood up through it's been a SX3 Winchester. I shot the four SX4 Winchester and it didn't like what I've done to it. This I've had this three for two years and it's probably had eight thousand rounds through it. Never misfired, click, jam, nothing. It's been repainted, recerocoded, it's had all new parts put in it probably four times. And like I said, it's never failed me yet. I've used it as a boat paddle when the motor broke down the boat during duck hunting. I broke ice with it. I ran low brass, high brass, three and a half, three inch, every kind of shell through it. Never had a hiccup. It nice. just keeps going. You know, but we all shoot some different. I shoot a Winchester. Um, some guys shoot this. I shoot a semi gun. Some guys shoot pump guns. We have a guy that hunts with us, shoots it over and under. People shoot Stogers, Benelli pump guns, Benelli SB3s, the brand new ones, and it bursts some axes, everything. Just everybody's got their own view. I like how the SX3 shoots. And I like how I use it. So that's what I, that's what I've stick to. I bought two of them. So whenever this one finally dies, I'll have another one to use since they don't make them anymore. I can't even fathom uh, that thought process because I just don't put that much lead, lead or steel through my shotguns to really know uh, what it would take to get it to fail. Uh, but when you're using a piece of equipment, talking about putting that many rounds through and in a season man it it is hard on them it, i know in four days of hunting in arkansas i shot a case and a half a three and a half inch bb steel shot and that was just not i mean tube extension nine rounds in the gun emptied it every time i pulled the gun up and it never, it never missed a beat bet your shoulder likes you after a trip like that mm-hmm. there was a couple birds in that group that come in as solos or twos and i pull up and shoot once and i was like i i give a shit less if i shoot anymore let somebody else in the group kill them it just killed my shoulder you can't you can't do anything after i know three days and we were hanging out in the lodge the last day after our half day hunt and i couldn't pick anything up with my right arm just from getting beat on for three days the we hunted the first Friday, and we killed, I think, like 20, 20 something. And then the dog that we had with us, she didn't get much experience, you know, much time out in the field. Her owner's a little on the, had some medical injuries. And so she hunted, like, you know, we killed 20 snows the first day. That's a lot for her because she wasn't out goose hunting with us for the beginning parts of the season. This was in February, mind you. And the, so she, she had a bum lip on her, you know, bum bum joint from running so hard. So the second day, we didn't take her, and her owner stayed back, and we shot 75 in four hours. And it was as fast as you could load the gun, you know, shoot it, load the gun, shoot it. It was just nonstop for four hours. That, that's when I shot a majority of my shells. And it was when I couldn't touch the gun barrel. It was so hot. I've heard a lot of guys talking. I, I have a couple of mutual buddies that we were talking about hunting the one day we were all, all together. And, you know, I just said, I'm still hooked on whitetails. That's all I care about. And, and two of them were just like, man, whitetail hunting is boring. It is flat out boring to them. I was like, why do you say that? They're like, man, when you get into waterfowl hunting and that, that action and the strategy behind that, it is just a whole different stimulus. So I, I have to ask you, do you enjoy other hunting throughout the fall? So I grew up as a deer hunter. I never self-taught. I didn't have anybody in my family, you know, that hunted. So I, my dad would take me out. He'd just buy his license just to take me out. And 
you know, I started picking up on little things. And then once I got enough to hunt myself, I'd hunt every chance I got after school, after work, on the weekends, you know. And I shot my first buck in 2014, I believe it was, just a little baby five-planted, my first buck I hunted four years before I even got to see a deer. Mm-hmm. And that was my first deer. And then I was hooked. That's all I wrote. That's all I wanted to do. I, I didn't turkey hunt. I didn't pheasant hunt. I didn't nothing. And, you know, I hunted whitetail for three years. That was the only hunting. I mean, I hunted like squirrels and stuff like that. But it was. And then, ironically, how I got into duck hunting is I had a buddy that I went to high school with. We went out goose hunting one day. And we shot eight. And it was like the best thing in the world for me. You know, I was like, oh, this is cool. Give me something else to do. And I put a post in a waterfowl group on Facebook. And I said, hey, does anybody want to link, you know, link up to goose hunt? And this older gentleman messaged me from Shenango. He's now, he's probably, I'd be near call him family. You know, I said, anybody, he called me, we met up. And he, you know, taught me pretty much everything. Wood ducks, mallards, you know, geese, all this. We hunted two years. And then he's like, hey, do you want to go to Arkansas? I was like, yeah, when is it? Let me call my boss, call my boss. We booked the trip. Bam, we went out to Arkansas. We killed 16 in three days. It was terrible. Mm. You know, everybody was just not not on par with their shooting. So I come back, and I got into the PA boys, and it just kind of took off from there. And then now I got, I tell everybody, I said, it's fun to whitetail hunt. You know, you're, you're a big whitetail guy. You, you spend more time in whitetail woods than so-and-so. I'm a big waterfowl guy. I have a week between the first day of archery season and the first day of duck season. So they're like, oh, you know, you shoot two-year-old ducks. I'm like, yeah, but for five days of hunting, and I usually only hunt two of them, I shoot the first, you know, half-decent legal deer that comes into range, and if I can get a whack at a doe or two, I'll take it. Yeah. Just because as soon as that week's over, I'm not in the tree stand at all anymore. Like, I... I you know, I care about deer hunting because that's how I fill my freezer. But it's I'm so dead set on ducks and geese. It's it's not a priority. Yeah. And I like I'll take I like to bear hunt, so I'll take a week. You know, I'll take a weekend off to go bear hunt because we only open for three days. I think three or four days for bear hunting. So I'll hunt them three or four days. A bear. It all depends. You know, say if we don't have any birds this week, and I have a buck tag or a doe tag left, I'll go out rifle hunting or archery hunting, depending on what it is. But if they say, hey, we found a feed of 600 geese, hang the bow up, grab the shotgun, and get in the truck. It's just, that's my style now. And there's nothing wrong with that because at the end of the day, you're enjoying creation. You're enjoying uh, enjoying the chase outdoors, whatever uh, whatever it is, whether it's whitetails, bear, deer, turkeys, ducks, Absolutely. geese, it doesn't matter. Um, sounds like geese really, really kind of hits home for you. Do you enjoy uh, enjoy duck hunting just as much? Um, it's, it's hard. I tell everybody this, that I've had way bigger, more successful goose hunts than I have duck hunts. I'm sure my opinion would change if I got into a couple good duck shoots, but it's just, you know, I can blow a Canada call. Like I've, I think there's two guys that can blow a Canada call like me. One's above 80 and the other one's hunts with us. I can blow a Canada call like, you know, nobody's business. I can blow a duck call to save my life. So I hunt, you know, when I duck hunt with people, I duck hunt with people that can blow a duck call. And if we get geese come in, they can't blow a goose call. So I pull my goose call out and we kill geese in the duck spread. Yeah. It's just, but like I said, I've had, I've definitely shot some cold mallards and I've shot some cold ducks. I've shot, well, let's see here. I've shot two blonde mallards in two years at the wow. same place. I've shot two hybrid mallards. How, hybrid, uh, one's a pintail, one's a widgeon, crossbreeds. Wow. Sure. Like I said, I've shot some cool ducks. I, we don't get a lot of coots around here, like little one-legged coots. I shot two coots last year, like middle of October. Wow. So I've, I've definitely shot some cool ducks, but I've killed way more, you know, memorable geese. You know, the first first year I really got into them, started hunting, I shot 10 bands of Canada's and four hunts really everybody looks at my ranger and they're like oh you know you're a waterfowl i said no i'm a goose hunter and they're like what do you mean i said can you see i have you know 13 canada bands and i have two duck bands yeah. you can kind of tell which one i hunt more but 
we get we go in the summertime we warm up we have a place we hunt pigeons at sorry if you hear my dog in the back no, good. Uh, we hunt pigeons that gives us target practice and we go you know we'll get together a big group of us we'll go skeet shooting get us warmed up for the early season and some of our guys can't hit the broadside of the barn it's just how it is they haven't you know, this is their second year, first year. They just don't know how to shoot a shotgun yet. And there's other people in our group that can hit a quarter flying through the air at 60 yards with a shotgun just because that's all they hunt. But, you know, they shoot a shotgun for deer. They shoot a shotgun for turkey. They shoot a shotgun for ducks. And, you know, that's the only thing they pick up all year. Yep. Man, you must like eating goose. That's all I can think. Um, To be honest with you, I don't. <laughs> I do, but I don't. Like, I don't like it's going to be done in snack sticks. Or jerky. Goose is probably the nastiest wild game if it's cooked any other way than I've ever eaten. Okay. I like, so I most of the time I shoot my deer, and then at the end of the year we round up, you know, say 200, we, we kill 200 candidates all year. We'll freeze them, freeze them, freeze them, freeze them. End of the year we'll have a big, you know, go cook out, drink beer, and make summer sausage and snack sticks and, you know, edible goose meat because you can't just put it in a pan and season it. It's just, just horrible. Mm. But. Mm. Yeah, we, we make snack sticks. Like, I know when I come back from Arkansas, we took all them and got them into snack sticks, and that's what we ate out in the field for the last two months of the season. Just snacks, snow goose snack sticks. Mm. Good deal. Well, hey, man, your uh, your time is important to me, and we're right around an hour, man. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing a lot of this because this is knowledge about uh, goose hunting that I am uh, pretty new to. And Absolutely. I'm sure uh, there's probably some people listening to this or, you know, every bit as in tune to it as you are and some probably analysis just the same. Man, wh- what other pieces of uh, – any pieces of advice or, or, or last-minute thoughts or stories you want to leave us with? If you're going to get into waterfowl hunting, throw your wallet in the trash can. <laughs> You'll spend more money than you ever will. Um, don't get discouraged. If you don't kill a pile, you know, we, we say between us, you know, time to sell everything. I'm done. I've had enough. You know, we have this, we have a field of birds for X amount of days. They don't show up the day we leave it. They, they show up. We go back in there and we kill them. And you know, we're all down in the slums. It's, it's like a up and down the mountain. You know, we have five bad days and then bam, we have a killer hunt. We kill 40, 50, 60 geese. Mm-hmm. And that turns the mood around for the next two weeks. So everybody's like, Oh yeah, you know, we're going to beat the hell out of geese. And it just goes back down the mountain. We're like, all right, I'm over this. I'm selling it all back and forth. And it just, it's a revolving cycle. You know, you gotta, you gotta be cut from a different cloth just on a waterfowl. Four hours of sleep, standing out in the snow, ice cold water. Just, it's a different, different thing. I think in order to take your, your success to the extreme, regardless of the quarry, you got to put up with some crazy stuff. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think about the guys that I've gotten to talk to who are, you know, well immersed in whatever they're passionate about. The stories and the things they've done in order to be successful and the, the things they've had to endure through, that's what makes them the the best of what they're doing. So, you Absolutely. know, you grinding over, over that for geese, you know, to uh, somebody who's not a passionate goose hunter uh, – that just sounds like they're wasting your time, but you're grinding because you got a goal in mind. And it's the Absolutely. same thing when you're, you're chasing any piece of, of, uh, any, any quarry for that matter. People tell me I'm crazy all the time. They like my dad races dirt stock cars mm-hmm. and 50, 60 grand. And people are like, Oh, you know, why don't you, why aren't you in the race? And I said, it's not, not my thing. You know, I like going to watch. I like, you know, I know how to tear them apart and put them back together. And they're like, Oh, what do you do? I was like, I kill ducks, you know, geese. And they're like, Oh, that's not bad. And then they start asking me questions. And I said, I probably have the amount of money and gear that he does in two of them race cars. And they're 50, 60 grand a piece between mm-hmm. truck, trailer, four wheeler, everything. And they're like, and they look at me like I'm, like I'm lying. And I'm like, I, you know, I'll, I'll show you the prices of all this stuff. And they're like, okay. And they, they really start to put two and two together. But once, you know, once you're in it, you're in it. <laughs> and they do you that know? and they go, and that's to shoot a bird, right? Yeah, that's exactly what they say. And that's to shoot one goose. I'm like, it's you wouldn't understand till you get to do it. Right. And I, I've done some wild things. We went, we went on a wood duck hunt. Me and just one of my buddies from high school. And I threw, you know, threw the wood duck decoys out at the time. I didn't have a dog. 
And, you know, we're getting towards the end of the day, and I'm like, I'm going to go in here and get my decoys. And I didn't process how deep this water was. And it's like October 15th. It's probably 45 degrees in rain. And, and I, I had AVNX wood duck decoys, and they're expensive. And I couldn't get out far enough to get three of them. So I stripped down to my boxers and jumped in the swamp and started swimming for them. Pulled them back through them until I could get them. Come out, my buddy looked at me like I was on drugs. He's like, why are you doing that? I said, you don't realize that them six decoys are $250. Or, you know, you don't, you don't realize that, you know, what all goes in behind it. I said, $250 to you could, you know, is a new pair of shirt. That could kill me 40, 40 wood ducks over the next five years. So it's like, you know, everybody's got their own thing. Priorities, man. I like where your priorities are at. It, it was a very bad decision. I didn't think it through. I jumped in and it, the cold hit me. I was like, well, I got to get them now. I'm already in here. So I swam off, got four of them, and one's still in the swamp because I couldn't take the cold anymore. Oh, man. I was shaking, treading water, and I was like, it, it can stay back here. So it's, it's still back here. I just hunted it last year. And I saw it floating in the marsh. Nobody stole it. Nobody shot it. Nothing. So I was like, oh, you know, it can stay there. It's a good story. <laughs> Lots of good stories. Well, hey, um, as we approach this this upcoming early season, good luck. Hammer down. I can't wait to see because I know you guys will be posting. And, uh, you know, maybe we get into some mid-season, late-season stuff here in a few months. I can uh, I can get you on the road sometime and, and give you a call and, and chat about it a little bit more. Absolutely. You're more than welcome to come hunt, come hunt with us if you're getting free time. I tell you what. Uh, watch what you say. I, I might take you up on that. I, I don't do. I don't do too much waterfowl hunting, but it gets to that time of year. I, I might get the itch and, and and be after you guys. You're more than welcome. We and then the first day we're we're planning on having 25 guns in the blind for opening day. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we got we have a giant feed. As long as they stay doing what they're doing, it's it's going to be ugly. We're going to have to have a semi truck to pull these geese out of here. <laughs> Well, hey, send me lots of pictures. Uh, I want to see the uh, see the hero pics. We'll do it. Thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Have a good night.